0: We're back in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. we're going to see this morning in this section of Scripture is who we are as Christians. Who we are. And, And the title of my message this morning is remember who you are. Now why is it important we remember who we are as Christians? Well, it's important because your identity will affect your behavior. Let me say that again. Your identity and who you are, if you're a Christian, will affect the way you act, your behavior. I remember as a kid, uh, my name uh, is John G. Hoppy III. And I remember as a, as a kid, I was trained by my dad and my grandpa, you better represent the name. You got our name. I got Grandpa Hoppy's name, I got my dad's name, and, he, and my dad made it very clear, you represent that name, you represent it well. And you know what? When I became a Christian 40-plus years ago, when I gave my life to Christ, I became someone who didn't represent just an earthly name. I, be, I, be, I became someone who represents a heavenly name, and the heavenly name is Jesus. And that's what the name Christian means, by the way. Interesting. I did some research this week. Do you know that Christians only mentioned three times? The name Christians only mentioned three times in the New Testament? It's, it's mentioned in Acts eleven twenty six, 26, Acts 26, 28, and 1 Peter 4, 16. Those are the only three references to who we are, our name, Christian. Now, there's a number of other references to, to labeling us as believers, as brethren, as followers of the way, as the beloved, but only three times the name Christian is used. And again, the name Christian, what it means is one who belongs to Christ. It means a follower of Christ, one who represents the name of Christ and so we need to know who we are as Christians, because it'll affect how we represent, how we represent the name of Jesus Christ. and it's very important. we realize the Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador brings forth a king's name into a foreign territory. We're in a foreign territory right here. It's called World Earth. This is a foreign territory. It's one of the things we're going to see this morning. We don't belong here. We're in a foreign territory. We're foreigners in a foreign place. We're strangers in a strange land. And by the way, it's getting stranger, isn't it? This world's getting stranger. But we represent a king. And the king is Jesus, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we represent his name. And so we need to know our identity in representing Christ. We're going to learn four things this morning about who we are in our scripture this morning. So let's jump right in. Of who we are as Christians, as those who belong to Christ, those who represent Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Look at this now. Picture being painted. Verse two: Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. If you've tasted, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, the first thing we're told about who we are as Christians. So we're supposed to be people of the Word, people that people that are longing. The word longing there means have a craving, an intense craving for the word of God in our lives. And the picture that's being painted here is we're supposed to be like babies. And babies, uh, it's been a while since we've had babies in the happy household. It's actually been a couple decades, but I remember well having babies in the house. house. And I, it looked like every, it seemed like every time uh, we'd get through that, that stage of infancy, uh, how to you get pregnant again? We threw about eight years of sleep deprivation, because these babies, as soon as we got one baby, about 18 months old, sleeping through the night, all of a sudden, boom, Heidi's pregnant again. Another baby would come. But I remember one thing about these babies, even though it's been a couple decades, I'll not, never forget it. They would let you know when they were hungry. Two reasons why our babies cried. First reason was they soiled those diapers. Another reason those babies cried is because they were hungry. And it doesn't matter what time of the day when they were hungry, they were going to let you know, I'm hungry. Three o'clock in the morning, Whoa! I'm hungry. Time to get up and eat. Mom, feed me. And it, but the thing I realized that with these babies, as we have babies, hungry babies are healthy babies. And hungry babies that are healthy babies are growing babies. See the picture that Peter's painting here? Hungry Christians for God's word, hungry Christians for God's word are healthy Christians and will be growing Christians. And that's what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be people that hunger, have an intense craving for God's Word. Like newborn babes, we're supposed to long for the Word of God and feed upon the Word of God because we don't live by bread alone but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so like newborn babes, we long, we have this intense craving for the Word of God so that by it, notice, we may grow in respect to our salvation. Now there's three rewards listed here that help that help you as a Christian live the Christian life if you're a Christian that's hungry for God's Word, that's someone that's feeding on God's Word on a regular basis. The first reward that comes from that is is victory over sin. Because right within this context, right before he says about hungering for God's Word, go back to verse 1. He says, put aside malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. How do we put aside those things in a wicked, evil, cursed world? By being people of the Word. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? Keep it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. And if you want any hope in the world we're living in today of living a life that's free from these things of malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, the only way you're going to do it is by being a person of the word. Someone that stays in God's word. And that's one of the reasons why I love Calvary Chapel. Well, I'm a Cover Chapel guy. You know why? Because the distinctive, the center point of what we do as Cover Chapel. Is we get in the Word of God, and every time we get in the Word of God, as we study God's Word, as we read God's Word, as we meditate in God's Word, as we hear God's Word being taught, it's like a spiritual shower. That's why Ephesians five twenty six tells us we're washed by what? How are we get washing spiritually? By the water of the Word. And you get into God's Word, and it cleanses you from these evil things, from this malice, from this slander, from this guile, and it washes you. I I say it's like recalibrating. It's like you, you get into God's house, and you hear God's Word being taught. It recalibrates you away from the world. So you're not conformed to this world. You're being washed by the water of the Word. It gives you victory over those things as you get into God's Word, and you stay in God's Word. And the second reward of being in God's Word is after evil or overcoming evil and righteousness comes from being in God's Word. The second reward of being in God's Word, just simply put, you grow in respect to your salvation, spiritual growth. I love Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3 when it talks about this. It says, it says this, it says that as you delight in the law of the Lord and in your law this blessed man meditates day and night, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. That's the importance of being God's word. It it, it helps you grow. The imagery there is you're like a tree planted by a stream of water and you're you're rooted in God's word to the point that there's fruit in your life and you're growing spiritually. One of the things that concerns me about what's going on in our culture right now is people are getting out of church with this virus thing. And that's an ingredient for backsliding, backsliding away from spiritual growth and back into worldliness. It really is. I was reading, uh, Sandy Adams' son, Zach Adams, posted something this week, and he was reading the Barnard Polls. And the Barnard Polls is kind of like a Gallup poll. They took a recent nationwide poll, and it said that a third of the people that were going to church before the virus are not going to church, and they're not even live streaming anymore either. They've stopped the live streaming. So a third of our nation right now that was in church, hearing God's word being taught, growing spiritually, is out of fellowship and not even live streaming anymore. A third of our nation. That's an ingredient for backsliding across our country. How do you keep your way pure? By keeping on the core of that word and delighting in God's word. I like that imagery. We're supposed to be people that delight in God's word in the study, the meditation of God's word because it keeps us righteous. It keeps us more like Christ. It helps us keep our identity as Christians as we're in God's word. The third reward of being in God's word there is you taste the kindness of the Lord. I like that. What does taste imply? Taste implies Experience and pleasure. Just think of that ribeye steak. Ooh, juicy, red. I don't know about you, I like my steaks red. I like them, uh, Heidi likes them while they're still moving. No, I'm just kidding. She likes them really red. But you, you, you bite into that ribeye steak that's just juicy. And what do you, you get an experience and you get pleasure. Hey, same thing with God's word. As you get into God's Word, you taste and see, as Psalm 34 8 says, you taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are you because you put your trust in Him. There's an experience of pleasure and goodness and kindness, and the kindness of the Lord is revealed to us as we get into God's Word. It's true. It's true. You know, one of the reasons why getting in God's Word allows you to taste and see that the Lord is good and you taste of His kindness is because much of God's Word isn't just about what you're supposed to do. Much of God's Word is about what God has done. Much of God's Word, as you get into it, it displays to you the wonders of the cross and how Jesus died on the cross for your sins, as you get into God's Word, you see the, the beauty of God's love of sending Jesus to this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but he have everlasting life. You taste of the kindness of the Lord by seeing what he's done that's, that's displayed throughout all the pages of Scripture. So you taste of God's kindness by getting God's Word. So the first thing we are as believers, as Christians, as those who represent Christ, is we need to be people of the Word people that delight in God's Word, that love God's Word. Actually, in the Old Testament, it says that God's people, they trembled at God's Word. We're supposed to be people that have this respect and honor and love for God's Word, and that's a part of who we are as Calvary Chapel. And as long as this bald preachers up here, that's going to be our focus here on Sunday mornings too. I'm serious. We are going to be people of the Word because I got nothing else I had people uh, talk to me afterwards and say, oh, I'm so glad that you teach the Bible and stuff. And I said, that's all I got. Because I got nothing to say, but God's word has everything to say. And that's where we're going to stick in this book. I'm not going to just be here giving you worldly advice. I'm going to be here giving you the Word of God because only the Word of God is living and active. Only the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Only the Word of God is what feeds us spiritually, and that's what we need to be as people, people of God's Word. That's the first thing. That's a part of our our identity. Second thing, verse 4, In coming to him, we're supposed to be living as as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, here's our second part of our identity. We are what? Verse verse 5, were living stones, interesting, are being built up to a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now it tells us a little bit about Jesus, verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in me shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, But for those who disbelieve, the stone, that's the stone being Jesus, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Now, first picture was of a baby. First picture was a baby longing, craving for the pure milk, the milk of God's word. Second picture of who we are, we're stones. And notice it says living stones. Living stones of what? Of a spiritual house, which is God's house. And interesting, the picture being painted, we're living stones, we're all put into God's house, and we're a part of God's house as living stones, but the ultimate stone in God's house is the cornerstone. And that's who? Jesus Christ. Interesting, in that culture, And still to this day, a lot of houses in Israel are stones. They're built with stones. And what Israel in the first century when this was being written, they they would be built stone upon stone upon stone. But the way that they'd build houses in this day is they'd start with one stone, and that was the cornerstone. And they'd put the cornerstone in the corner, and then that was the foundation for all the rest of the stones. And not only that, it was the stone that set the direction for that building. You get the picture of who Jesus is? Jesus is our foundation. We're to be built upon him. He's the, he's the rock upon which we're built in regards to our faith. So he's our foundation, but he's also the one that sets the direction for our lives. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and then what will he do? He'll make your path straight. Or another version says he'll direct your path." That's who Jesus is. And so the second thing of who we are, our identity, is not only are we to be people of the word, but we're to be living stones. What does that mean? We're a part of God's house. We're a part of his family. He's adopted us into his family. That's why it says in Romans 8, we don't have a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Abba, Father, because God's spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. Amazing. We're part of his household. He's, a, he's brought us in. He's brought us in to be a part of his family. And it's interesting, as a part of his family, go back to verse 5, you're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, we're part of his house, part of his family, we've been adopted in, and now we've got a job to do. And that's to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, in the Old Testament, God's temple was run by the priests, and the priests would offer up Physical, earthly sacrifices like lambs and pigeons and doves. And those would be sacrifices for the people's sins. But now Christ has been our final sacrifice. He's died for us once for all. The just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. He said it is finished with the earthly sacrifices. But now the picture is we are priests that are offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. Every single believer is a priest. who's supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. What are those spiritual sacrifices? There's there's three of them that I could think of. The first spiritual sacrifice that we offer up to God is is, is first of all our, our 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 praises. When we come to God every Sunday and we praise Him, we're offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. That's what Hebrews chapter thirteen says. If you go to Hebrews thirteen fifteen, it says this: Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And so as spiritual priests in God's house, when we come here on Sunday morning, we're giving praise to God. We're offering up spiritual sacrifices to God, the fruit of lips that praise him. And that's a part of our job. That's a part of our identity. You know what that pleases God? You know, when you, when you praise God and offer up spiritual sacrifices of worship to him, it blesses him. God blesses you every day of the week. One of the ways you can bless him back is by giving praise to Him and spiritual sacrifices of praise to Him. It's part of our job, it's part of our identity. But another way we could do spiritual sacrifices, interesting, it's not only praise, but the next verse in Hebrews 13 says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, see the word again? Sacrifices, God is what? Pleased. Another spiritual sacrifice we could offer up to God is sharing and doing good. Paul talked about this in Philippians 4.18 also. He said, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent that was a gift for the kingdom and for the church, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable what? There it is. Sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. One of the spiritual sacrifices we give to God as priests in God's household is praise. But another one is giving. As we give to God, we're being priests that are offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. And you know what? One of the wonderful things is we give to God, we're doing a part of what we're supposed to be doing as our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. be honest with you, when this virus thing started, I was a little concerned. Shutting down church. And then we did the drive-up church, and which was good. I think it really helped us keep having church, even though everything was in lockdown. So we did eight weeks or whatever of drive-up church. And now we started back up again, and we're inside and stuff. But one of the concerns I had as the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, when we got in this lockdown mode and stuff, is well, how are we going to... How are we going to keep going forward as a church with, you know, 10, 12 people on staff, all our U-turn, all, all our staff, are U-turn, all our mortgage, our, you know, our utility bills. You I don't even want to tell you what the utility bills on this 10-acre campus is. And I was concerned about that. And then the Lord really spoke to me and said, just trust me with this, John. God's people here at Calvary Chapel are going to take care of what provision is needed for this ministry and this church. And so I trusted him. Took a while, but I trusted him. And then, we stopped doing any kind of offerings. You know, we haven't taken a physical offering where you're passing a plate and stuff in months. It's been months. I mean, it's, it's been since April. I don't know how many months it is, but it's been, it's been months. But you know what's amazing with our people? You guys are priests, and you kept offering up sacrifices of giving to God to the point that we haven't missed a beat as a church, We haven't taken an offering in months, but people just are continuing to give. And it's, it's amazing because now we're building the U-Turn for Christ bunkhouse here in the corner, and there's provision for that, and we're going to pay cash for that, too, because people in this church are spiritual priests. They're offering up spiritual sacrifices of giving, and the, the, the giving online has gone up because some of the people that haven't come back yet are still watching live streaming, and they're giving online. They, they're giving online is way above what it was before this virus thing yet because God's people are being spiritual priests that are continuing to be faithful in this area of giving regularly so we could keep doing what God's called us to do. That's awesome. You know, maybe we'll never take an offering ever again here at Calvary Chapel. Just have the boxes in the back and just trust the Lord. What do you think about that? Yeah, God could do that. Maybe we'll just do that. So thank you. I'm proud of you guys for the way that you've given, even though we're not doing offerings. You have given faithfully because you know that's a part of well, who, we, who we are as Christians, a part of God's household. We're going to provide for what God's called us to, to offer up those sacrifices to God. And, and that's a part of who we are as priests in God's household. And so what spiritual sacrifices, it's, it's hey, it's It's praise, it's worship, spiritual sacrifice, it's giving. But spiritual sacrifice, another spiritual sacrifice we could get, ultimately probably the most important spiritual sacrifice we can give to God as his priests. Most important, it's your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices which are acceptable to God, which is your notice, your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Ultimately, what God wants from us as sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice, it's our life, where we're living for him and not our flesh or the world Or the devil. Well, I want to live my life my way. That is one of the stupidest songs I've ever heard, by the way. I did it my way. Yeah, you did it your way right to hell. Didn't do it my way. I want to do it Jesus' way. And the way that we do it Jesus' way is surrender our life to Christ as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to him, which is our spiritual service of worship. And by the way, you do it Jesus' way, your life will be a whole lot better. Because we are people that destruct ourselves. Our flesh is bent towards destruction and as we yield our flesh to God as a spiritual sacrifice and we're surrendered to him, he'll bless instead of curse our life. And that's why we're told in Deuteronomy 30, hey, it's a choice. Life or death, blessings or cursing, choose life. And we choose life by laying our life down for the one who died for us, Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate sacrifice we're supposed to make is our life. Give your life for him, and you'll have a life that's according to the identity you're supposed to have as Christians, and so let's keep going. I love these two verses here, verses nine and 10. But you, Christians, this is who we are, identity. You, Christians, you're what? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at this now. You're a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim The excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For once, you you, you Christians, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, wow, you've received God's mercy. First picture, we're a baby, supposed to be longing for that. Craving for that milk of God's word. Second picture, we're we're these living stones, a part of God's house, and we're actually priests offering up sacrifices to God. Third picture, third picture, great picture. We're God's people. And actually, it says as God's people, we're chosen by Him. Do you know that? If you're a Christian, God chose you of all the people in this world. God chose you to be a part of his family and his household. He's chosen you. You're a chosen race if you're a Christian. And that's something because only about 10% of the seven or plus billion people in this world claim to be a Christian, a born-again Bible-believing Christian, and it's probably even lower than 10% in reality. You're a part of that small percentage of people that are God's chosen race. I call us spiritual Jews. You know why? Because the Jews in the Old Testament were God's people, God's chosen race. And now Romans 9 and Romans 11 says we have been grafted in to God's chosen race. He grafted us in as Gentiles. He, he put us as a part of God's chosen race. And as God's chosen race, interesting, it says there, as God's chosen race, go back to our scriptures, it says who we are is we're royal. I like that. We're one of the king's kids. You know that? You're part of the royal family. You're part of the royal, again, priesthood, as we've already talked about. Interesting, we're also holy. What does it mean we're holy? A holy nation? What's holy mean? It means you're set apart by God for his special purposes. And we're to be different, called out from the world. So we're not living by our flesh anymore. We're living by the spirit. We're not living for just this physical stuff around us. We're living for eternity. We're a part of his holy nation. It's amazing. And also, we're owned by Him. We're God's own possession. We're owned by Him. What does that mean? We've been bought with a price. That price is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Therefore, we're to glorify God with our bodies because of the price that He paid. And not only are we owned by Him, but we got a job to do. You know what the job is? I love this. We're, we're, as people called to be His, His chosen people, we to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our job. Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my, what? Witnesses. That's our job. We're supposed to make Jesus famous in this world. We're supposed to share the fame of Jesus' name, and if we're going to boast about anything, we're going to boast about Jesus Christ and the cross he died on for our sins. And we're to proclaim how excellent our God is. Because once we had not received mercy, but now we're under the mercy of God. We shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, selfish with this gift of eternal life we have. We should be passing it on to every single woman, child, man, person we know in this world. It's our job proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of my favorite Calvary Chapel pastors is Greg Laurie. And Greg Laurie is one of those guys that he's just infectious. And it's interesting because he started uh, his church when he was 19 years old. Before that, he was working with Pastor Chuck. as just an assistant in the office. He was the he was what I just call the gopher. When anybody on the staff needed something, said, hey, get Greg to go get that. That door knob on the classroom bill needs a new door knob. Go get Greg to do that. But, but Greg got saved when he was just 16 years old. And he had come from a disastrous background. His mom was an alcoholic. He had, he had, I think he had seven stepdads. Mom just kept going from stepdad to stepdad to stepdad. And it was just region to region. He lived all over the country because of that. But then Jesus rescued him from that, and Jesus rescued him from the darkness into this marvelous light, and Jesus we had, was a pothead, partier, everything else. He got saved, and he, he went from being under the wrath of God to the mercy of God, and all he's about for the last 50, 60 years has been telling people about Jesus, and that guy's infectious. I mean, so much so, he fills up stadiums, he does his harvest crusades, and he's on fire preaching the gospel, and... Thousands of people get saved at every harvest crusade. He's probably led tens of thousands of people of Christ. You know why? Because his life is all about helping people being rescued from wrath to mercy because that's what God did for him. And I've talked to some people on his staff and they said, Anywhere you go with Greg, he's just sharing Jesus with somebody. What a great example. That's what we need to be about. That's who we are as Christians. We're, We're people that have been rescued. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let's just keep proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we, we still have this vision for 2020, even though we've been, man, hammered with this virus. Our vision still is a harvest. And the vision is, Proverbs 11:30 30 tells us, he who wins souls is wise. So let's keep having wisdom and winning souls to Christ. Amen. I don't care what this stupid virus does. We're going to just keep leading people to Jesus. And you know what? I believe that in, with this virus, I believe it's waking some people up and some people are more open to receive Jesus than any other time because they're, they're scared. And we got an antidote, antidote for fear in Jesus Christ because we don't have to fear if we have Christ. Because if God be for us, who could be against us, right? And God is for us. And so we need to tell the whole world of the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. That's our job description. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. Amen? Amen. So let's get busy about the Father's business and keep doing this. I don't care if you get some ridicule at work. I don't care some people insult you because you're one of those Jesus people. You know what Jesus did for you on the cross? The public shame that he faced? We could face a little heat, right? So let's keep being those people that are out there proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, the one that brought us out of wrath into his mercy, because he, he deserves that kind, of, that kind of witness by his followers. I love what they say about the New Testament disciples in the city of Jerusalem. As they all started getting saved, coming to Christ, it says they filled their city with the teaching of Christ. Let's do that. Another thing they said about these New Testament believers is they they were doing their job of witnessing to the world, it says they turned their world upside down for Christ. I think that's a misstatement somewhat because really they were turning the world right side up, weren't they? And that's what we do when we witness to people is we're turning it back right as we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Now let's close it up, verse 11. It says, Beloved, that's who we are, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now notice this, verse 12, keep your behavior, what, excellent among the Gentiles, so that in that which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation." That, that One interpretation of, of that is the day of visitation being the return of Christ, possibly the rapture. But as we're waiting for the rapture, the day of visitation, what are we supposed to be doing? The last thing in our job description, we're supposed to be aliens. That's who we are. We're aliens. E.T. <laughs> what was the phrase from E.T.? Phone home. <laughs> That's who we are. We're aliens. What does aliens mean? The word aliens here in the Greek means we are a foreigner in a foreign place. It's kind of how I felt when I first moved to the south. I came here from the north, and I came here from the south, and I I talked like I was from Chicago. I still kind of do. And people, the phrase I kept getting when I first moved here is, you're not from around here, are you? (laughs) Or another phrase I'd get constantly is I was really rushing my speech or something to say, do what now? And then I'd, I'd be in a hurry, and people would say, just, you need to, Pastor John, you just need to settle down a little bit here. We're in the south here, right? And I remember when I went to my first fast food place, when we first moved down here, just got the kids moved in, and we're in the house and stuff. I ran to Burger King to get food for the whole family and stuff. And, you know, it's fast food, and I was in a hurry to bring back food for the family and stuff. And I got to Burger King when we had a Burger King in downtown Lexington. I got there and I ordered, you know, four Whoppers or whatever. I ordered Whoppers and stuff. And I thought, well, this is fast food. I'll get it back to kids fast. It took 25 minutes for, for Whoppers. And I was like, wow, I am a foreigner in a foreign place right here. Now, things have changed. Things are, you know, it's a little different now in Lexington. Everything's kind of booming and stuff. But this was 23 years ago. But what is this telling us? Last picture of who we are as Christians. We're aliens. We're not from around here. And we're not supposed to be. Because this isn't our home. Where's our home? Heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us that. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, and that's the Lord. Lord. Jesus Christ. So as aliens and strangers, what does that verse tell us we're supposed to do? We're supposed to abstain from what? Fleshly lusts. Notice, fleshly lusts that do what? They wage war against your soul. Interesting. What that's saying in that scripture is as aliens, as strangers, that's the last thing of who we are. We're to be people that... Are not living in the fleshly lust that everybody else is living in. Why? Because those fleshly lusts aren't heaven through this world, and they will wage war against your soul. Have you noticed that as a Christian? You start getting pulled back into the lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. You start getting into things you used to be into that you shouldn't be into as a Christian. Do you have peace with that? No especially as a Christian, now you have the Holy Spirit convicting you too. You'll never have peace if you're a Christian living in your lusts. You will have peace though as you abstain from that and you have the Holy Spirit helping you and you live in victory instead of defeat because those lusts are there to wage war against your soul. And that's why we're told in 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 to 16, don't love the world nor the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world's passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I like that. So let's be people who walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Let's be people, like Jesus said, that on a daily basis, we take up our cross, we deny our flesh, and we follow Christ. And let's be people, too, as that last verse says. Let's be people, I love that verse. It says this, we're, we're to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that even if they slander you as doers on account of your good deeds, they're gonna observe who you are as people abstain from those things, and they'll glorify God on the day of your visitation. Remember what Jesus said about this? He said, shine your light, Christians. Shine your light in such a way that people see your good deeds, your excellent behavior, and then they too may glorify our Father who's in heaven. It's the last thing of who we are. We're aliens, we're strangers, we're, we're, we're people that aren't from around here, our home is heaven, so we, we abstain from fleshly lust, and we keep our behavior excellent, so that when people see us, even if they're making fun of us, even if they're us, people know that slander is not true because of the way we live. We keep our behavior excellent. And then what's going to happen? And then some of those pagans, some of those Gentile pagans, Gentile is a, a phrase for pagans there, some of those pagans are going to cross the line of faith, and they too will glorify our Father in heaven. You know, our, our men's conference in October coming up, we're going to study the book of Daniel. I love Daniel, because Daniel was living in a pagan land, Babylon, but it says he purposed in his heart as a young man not to defile himself, to live for God rather than his flesh. And it got to the point that even he got persecution, he got torn in a lion's den because he refused to stop praying to his God. And then it says that after God rescued him from that, 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 that uh, lion's den, it said that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, actually came to the point of glorifying Daniel's God. That's what happened when we, when we shine our light in such a way that people see our good deeds. They, too, will cross the line of faith and start glorifying God, our God because of what God has done in our lives. Amen? You know, when I first got saved, I, the Lord chose me. He just rescued me. He he set me up. I mean, Christians were witnessing me all over my high school campus. And God God chose me and, and pulled me out of my my flesh and my sin and my worldliness, my paganism. And as after after he did that, I remember thinking back, what 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 how do these Christians get to me like this? <laughs> Boy, it was a work of the Holy Spirit, and God had chosen me. And, God was working by his Holy Spirit in my life. But a part of it, too, was their witness. These Christians, hard to deny the reality of their faith. These Christians that witnessed to me. Hard to deny the fact that they were having a whole lot of fun, too. I, that's one of the things that helped crossed cross the line of faith, too. I saw these Christians, they had more joy than I had. And even as Christians, they knew how to have fun. Another thing I saw within these Christians is their love. They had an incredible, unconditional love. And they cared about me even though I was a knucklehead. They loved me. But another thing that helped me cross the line of faith was their behavior was excellent. It was real. There were teenagers in my high school that their lives had been changed by Christ to the point that their behavior really was different than everybody else. Everybody else in Chicago swore like sailors. I swore like a sailor. Someone saw I had to, after I got saved, I had to have a couple confrontations where people said, you ain't supposed to talk like that as a Christian anymore. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I had to change my whole vocabulary, but they didn't swear like we swore. Their mouths and their tongue were different, and they didn't live like we lived in Chicago. These Christians, I mean, they, 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 instead of going out and getting drunk with everybody else on the weekends like we were all doing, they were going to church on the weekends. Bible studies on Friday nights. They had a Bible study on Friday nights. Their behavior was excellent. And not only that, they even had a desire for purity, the guy that led me to Christ, I remember talking to him and he talked about how he was doing his very best to stay pure in this relationship he had with his girlfriend and he wanted to be pure until he got married. And I thought he was, he, this guy is a fo- strange, strange. But he was serious. And I saw that reality of Christ in their behavior. Let's do that for the world, right? The world is looking for an excuse to write off our God, and let's not give him an excuse by our behavior. And that's one of their biggest excuses, by the way, in the world, for people not coming to Christ, is because Christians aren't living what they say they're believing. Now, does that mean we need to be perfect? No. We're We're just forgiven sinners that have been saved by the amazing grace of God But after we get saved by God's amazing grace, we're to be people, Matthew 6.33, that are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things unto us. We're not perfect. We won't be perfect until we get to heaven. We'll be struggling sinners until we get to heaven. But let's at least be fighting the battle. Let's be putting one foot in front of the other foot and saying, I'm going to live for Christ and not the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm not going to be a person that's going to be under the mastery of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. I'm going to be a person that's battling against that, fighting the good fight, finishing the course and keeping my faith. Amen? So who we are as Christians. Remember who we are. What are the four things we learned this morning about who we are as Christians? We're number one, people of the what? We're people of the word. That's our identity. Number two, we are living stones in a priesthood of people in God's house that are offering up spiritual sacrifices of giving, of sharing, of, of, of helping people, of praise and worship, and ultimately giving of our lives for the cause and the, for the kingdom. Number three, we're a chosen people. We're God's people. That's a third thing of who we are. Remember, you're God's people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called out of darkness in his marvelous light. Again, with a job to do, to proclaim the what? Excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. And the last thing we are, aliens, strangers, because you're abstaining from the fleshly lust that wage war against your soul, and you're keeping your, your, excellent, your behavior excellent before the people that are watching you so you can be a witness that bring other people to the point that they glorify our Father in heaven too. Can I get an amen, church?